is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 123, operating on April 4th, 2022. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Doug, we tell our listeners, this is your show, but do we really mean it? We do, Drew, and we have one of our longtime listeners here today, Ryan. He's also known as at Planes and Planes, that's P-L-A-I-N-S and P-L-A-N-E-S on Instagram and Twitter. Ryan is not only a listener, but a regular contributor and friend. Ryan works for a large cargo airline and currently trains employees on how to drive the trucks that haul cargo to and from the freighters. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Doug and Drew. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Ryan, you work on the cargo side of aviation. We have less exposure to that. We're we're trying to learn more because cargo is so huge right now. I had the misconception that cargo people were antisocial, but the the episode with the cargo pilots was one of our longest. Doug, I think it went like an hour and a half. (laughs) I think that was one of your most difficult edits. And boy, did they have stories. Uh, tell, tell us your story. How did you get into aviation? Well, I'll try not to uh, extend the episode too long because I know <laughs> Doug's busy. Uh, but my brief story about aviation is I grew up near a major United Airlines hub. And my dad was wow. a travel agent when I was in school. So we were often going to the airport for family vacations. And I always had airplanes flying overhead. So I was always looking up at the sore neck. I was able to take a ground school course in high school as part of a class to get a head start into different career fields. And then I decided to get my degree in aviation at a part 141 school at a university. But after the first semester, I realized that there were many more career paths in aviation besides the airlines and that the airlines wasn't necessarily what I wanted to pursue anymore. Then I changed my focus into ag aviation or crop dusting, as some people know it, (laughs) uh, which is what I ultimately ended up majoring in. And I was able to work as a ground crew member for a crop duster during the summer in my college years in the town that my now wife grew up in. So that was pretty convenient. The operator I worked for, he was retiring um, about the time that I was graduating college and he wasn't looking to bring on any more pilots once I had enough training done. So I was looking for a new way to make ends meet. And as I mentioned, my now wife, her and I were getting married um, at the end of the semester. So I was looking for a new way to make ends meet. And that's when I started working at my current employer. And I hadn't done any training to become a CFI at this point in my training history. So I had about 250 hours. I had my limited commercial, which just means that I didn't uh, have my instrument rating yet. Um, but I did have my commercial license. So I was kind of in this weird in-between phase where I would either have to do more training or kind of follow this career that could open up for me at my current employer and I decided to stick with them and the rest is history. <laughs> well, hold off on some I have of this so because more we're gonna, we have now. another se- yeah. yeah, we have a lot of que- <laughs> crop dusting. I I forgot about that. You did tell me about that. Hold off on your transition from pilot to what you do now because we have a okay. whole segment on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I'll good. I'll hold my questions to you because <laughs> okay. I've got so many so many more questions now. I guess just to sum it up, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, even though I'm not in the flight deck of an airplane, but I still get to interact with airplanes and the aviation community almost daily. And I get some pretty sweet benefits from work uh, that allow me to still enjoy the benefits of the um, aviation community as well. Yeah, Doug, even though 
even though he works for a cargo airline, he's just like us in terms of non-revving, which was also shocking to me. I didn't realize that cargo airline employees really non-revved. Mm. I just thought they jump sat on MD-11s to uh, St. Louis or <laughs> you know Memphis all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, we all have different paths to aviation, and there's yet another one, which uh, Ryan is talking about his path. Before we go on, we have to squeeze in a, another pilot memoir, Doug. <laughs> and this Francis is twitching right now because he, he says we go too long on the pilot memoirs. But anyway, and then we're going to see how everyone's week was. Doug, you're making the move from the 737 or the Guppy to the 777 or Bigfoot. I'm not sure. Can you verify during your training that we're the only airline that calls it that? I think we Yeah, I, I haven't heard anyone call it that yet going through training. Right. So we got to really make that trend. All right. Is, fly- <laughs> is flying the triple seven simulator just like riding a bigger bike after the guppy? Great question. I, I'm only a, a little bit less than a week into the Sims right now. I haven't actually flown the simulator yet. The first the first two weeks, it's all ground based training, like doing pre flights, post flights, things like that. We do get airborne in the sim to run through some of the systems because we, we have to learn what happens. Like the sim the other night, we shut down a hydraulic system and, and watched on on the panel to see what happens, ran through the checklist to get it back on. I don't actually physically fly the sim for another week, week and a half, I want to say. And even then, the first, there are something like 20 total total sims over this whole program. The first 10 don't have motion. It's all just get in the device. E- even if we're in one of the motion sims, they don't actually bring the motion up. That's in the whole second half. So I don't know yet, Drew, what the, what the actual flying feels like. But I can tell you from being in the cockpit, oh my gosh, this airplane, <laughs> the, even though the, the Guppy, the, the next gen came out after the 777, and the 777 mm-hmm. is 1990s technology, I, I guess is the best way to describe it. This airplane is so advanced. It's, it's crazy. All of the... I, I, amenities, I, I guess is the way to say it, but not even that. Mm-hmm. It's We talked about how aviation is safe today because of technological advancements, because of issues that have happened in the past. Drew, this airplane is incredible with, with the amount of redundancy it has, with the safety features it has. In fact, one of my, my buddies texted me yesterday and said that he, he flew with the Boeing test pilot a couple of years ago, and that, that test pilot said that the 777 is hands down, the best airplane that Boeing has ever built. Yeah, I remember, Doug, one of my first flights on a 777 when they were new. And I remember the captain saying, hey, we're on this new aircraft. And let me tell you, it is just a dream to fly, you know, and he's not making that up for the customers as some corporate, you know, message that was they they loved flying and it was a dream to fly, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doug, you've you actually have room to move around in the cockpit. Too now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was the first thing that I noticed when I, I got into the sim. Uh, you know, granted, the, the sims are a little bit bigger because they've got space in the back and extra seats for when you're doing check rides and things like that. So more people can be in there. But that said, the sim, it it fully mirrors the flight deck, the, the way that the the top of the sim is is shaped right. and, and rounded. And yeah, the, the first thing you notice when you get in the 737 sim, because you're in this big cavernous room and you're looking at the flight deck, is you notice how the, the ceiling is just tiny and you have to bend over to get in. Yeah. I walked on the 777 sim the other night and and the the flight deck portion of the sim is just as big as this cavernous room that we're standing in getting into the, the actual flight deck portion of the sim. And there's just so much space in between the the 
two pilots as well. Do you miss the 1950s technology overhead panel <laughs> of the 737? You know, that's actually a great question <laughs> because on, on the Guppy, most of the, the switches on the overhead panel are actual switches. You have to pull them out and then move them mm-hmm. forward. There's not a single one of those on the 777. They're all buttons. You just push the button in. So if you're trying to turn on yeah. the APU or, well, I guess the APU is a, a switch. Beyond that, if you're trying to turn on the fuel pumps or the hydraulics, you just push the button in. That's it. Whereas on on the mm-hmm. 737, it's just all these switches. And I, the unfortunately, the listeners can't see my hand motion right now. Think of basically like kind of beating a drum. I mean, you're you're just going all through this panel, ter- like pulling the switch and pushing it forward and pushing it back in. No, the triple seven is just yeah. single finger button push, and then you move on. One more thing before we talk about my week. So Doug sends me this um, cockpit flows a flow is like how you check all the instruments right before you do your pre-flight and i'm flying a piper warrior and there's like three arrows of flows that i'm supposed to check and that's overwhelming for me right now right doug has like five arrows of flows going in mm-hmm. all directions that he's supposed to yeah yeah drew your checklist is probably like <laughs> max maybe 15 items and i'm sure doug's yeah. got like 55 items <laughs> yeah well it's it's funny because on on the pre-flight alone there are nine arrows and each arrow has mm-hmm. about 15 mm-hmm. things associated with it and i have to i have to memorize it, it, it as as you go through it and as you practice it it becomes easier but you, basically you have to memorize okay every single switch we have to pre-flight we don't necessarily mm. have to do anything with it, like push a button and, and make sure it works. But you have to know which button is supposed to be in, which light is supposed to be on. So all of that is just yeah. rote memorization. So that way you can look at the whole panel and you can say, okay, the C2 air hydraulic pump is supposed to be in. The light is supposed to say mm-hmm. armed. And the amber caution light at the bottom is supposed to be off. And then you move on to the next switch. So you have to memorize all of those things. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. Yeah, and you, um, Doug, as we speak, is deep in study, like he's back in college, and every day it's like going through all these lessons. Doug wants to memorize everything for the test before. And how many questions about is it? One hundred fifty. Yeah, we we have our it's our systems test about the airplane this week. All right, we'll keep everyone updated. And um, so, yeah, Francis, that was your pilot memoir. We tried to keep it short. I think that was just three <laughs> minutes. So I think we're doing well. <laughs> now for my airport memoir. Oh my God, you guys, it's so busy at the airport. Anyone who works at an airport knows <laughs> this is crunch time, right? Just to give you an example on the five o'clock bank, which are, is our busiest, we have we have about 70 to 75 gates. We have 85 mm-hmm. flights. It's cramming stuff in, moving stuff on and off. Hot toes, we have like 15 hot toes, which means a plane comes in, gets offloaded, gets towed off. Another one comes in and then that flight leaves and that other one gets towed back. It's just a constant movement of airplanes. Load factors are over 90% every day. And Doug, I've been telling you the last two days when I'm leaving work, it feels like I've been in an accident because <laughs> <laughs> it's been so crazy. It's a whirlwind of activity. But I'll tell you, for the people that are interested in joining the airlines, even though it's crazy and it's stressful, your day is over before you know it. No one at work is looking at the clock to see how much longer till we're off because we're going full it goes steam by ahead. so much faster it's when you're busy. It goes by so much faster, and that's well, great. And right? Drew, we haven't talked about this in a long time. The TSA numbers. 
you were yeah you were, are we you were talking about the as busy the as load factors are 90 plus percent tsa numbers on average mm-hmm. have been in the mid 90 percent versus 2019 oh yeah it's crazy and this is when we're adding all these new routes and it's hard to keep track and we're not doing the sheet cakes like before like when you have a new destination you have a seat cake uh, sheet cake from costco and the balloons <laughs> and a little picture now there's too many to like have a celebration every other day right so this is the time when someone calls out one of my zone managers calls out, hey, we're closed up on Lisbon. And he goes, oh, wait, we fly to Lisbon? It's like, it's in your zone. <laughs> <laughs> and, all right, one last thing. Anyone who has any association with Florida and aviation knows it's been a nightmare the last two days. So I've had my friend Matt. Um, Eric is on the way to Florida. All mm-hmm. these people have Florida nightmare stories, and it's because... They had horrible thunderstorms. And I sent you guys a picture that was yesterday and it was the same thing the day before. So crews are displaced. People going on cruises, on honeymoons, whatever to Florida are messed up. So I'm just from a small circle of friends. They're all talking about how difficult it's been to get to and from Florida. So it weather should be better today. Well, I I just want to say Eric got the double Mm -hmm. Emmy. He got the the Florida thunderstorms, but he also Mm -hmm. got the snow in Detroit. Which, as you joked a, a couple weeks ago, Drew, oh, this is the last snow. Well, mm-hmm. I, I sent you a screenshot from here. Mm-hmm. My second night in training, we we got snow here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it just keeps going on. Yeah, no, it was horrible. And just yesterday at work, we're about to push the noon bank going south. And boom, this massive flow program. So, for example, Cancun is a 1230 departure. It had an 8 o'clock wheels up, which is the time it can take off. And it's to get around the system. So we don't immediately, that, that's what we get from the FAA. We don't immediately post that because our NOC controllers and our dispatchers do miracles working with the ATC desk and all these flights left. They were like two hours late, but definitely not um, 10 hours as they were initially saying. So everything got out and anyone flying to or from Florida, we're sorry. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> Ryan, how's your week? My week's been pretty normal. We got a little bit of snow on Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't remember what it was, but I'm working with a new driver this week and I have another new driver next week. So no Sims were in the real truck driving around. So sorry for everybody (laughs) that's stuck behind the slow truck, but um, part of the process. But I've had fairly uneventful week, luckily. Is there any truck sim or any um, online program where they see the cabin of the truck before they... The only thing I'm aware of is I believe there's a truck driving simulator game, but I've never played it. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we're going to get to know a lot more about you and and hear some stories at the end. But before we get to that, as a rite of passage, Ryan, on next trip, we have to vet your AvGeek credentials. You you already mentioned how you grew up in in, uh, next to a hub and you were always looking at the sky. But can you tell us what your favorite aviation moment was? That, That moment when you knew that aviation was in your blood sure um i actually have two so bear with me but i'll go quick uh the <laughs> no rush. the first the first one is thinking back to some of my earliest aviation memories and it was a trip that my family took to san diego and we had to connect in lax and i don't remember a hundred percent but i'm pretty sure that from lax to san diego we were on an embraer 120 brasilia so mm-hmm. tiny mm-hmm. little turboprop yep. and i remember um taxiing around LA and seeing the 747s and the 777s and the A340s 
there was no A380s at the time, no 787s, but the, I remember seeing those huge planes and especially from the seat of that tiny little turboprop, realizing how big the equipment is, but then also realizing how big the world is, seeing all these planes from all over the world in one place made me just fall in love with it to think about how connected everyone and everything can be and how simple, you know, you fly from somewhere in the world to LA and then from LA you can fly to anywhere else in the world pretty much. It's Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. And then this is a more recent, that kind of re more recent moment that reignited the love was um, a couple months ago, maybe getting close to a year ago. um, I was able to take a non-rev trip. My wife cleared my weekend of all responsibilities and she said, go have fun. And I just went on flights that were open. And so I ended up flying on three different airlines um, from coast to coast, all within 24 hours. Didn't even have to pay for a full day of parking at our airport, which was awesome. (laughs) It was basically like, oh, this flight from Denver to San Francisco is open. I'll go there. And then San Francisco to Newark is open. So I don't have to pay for a hotel and I get food. Sure. I'll do that. And then, oh, Newark to Nashville. And then I can go from Nashville home. Like, sure, let's do it. So how do you know what the loads are? Uh, I'm able to check a website. It's called My ID Travel. um, Mm -hmm. And it's, I guess, what our company, I don't know what the right word is for, but how our company is able to use our flight benefits. And then Mm -hmm. it's just a, a listing website that all the agreements that we have with airlines for listing capabilities are listed there and it shows essentially up to the date load factors. So I can see um, how many seats are available in different classes and then list myself as a standby passenger. And then we're lowest priority, which is sometimes a bummer, especially as it gets through the day and people are changing flights and things like that. But um, it's really a simple process and pretty fun. My ID travel, we have that also mm-hmm. when we fly yeah. other airlines. And all it shows, Ryan, is like a happy face, a regular <laughs> face, a sad face. That's too concerning for me. I need to know exactly <laughs> what exactly. it's up to in every cabin. There's also Staff Traveler app, um, which is a huge help. You can get into contact with other airline employees who can have access to maybe more accurate or more up-to-date systems yeah. or i just text you drew and have you check the load <laughs> yeah if it's on our airline i'll let you know doug what he was talking about your experience at lax taxiing around this this amazing airport with all these planes from all over the world it is truly magical and it's not just the planes it's the dynamism of the whole environment right so you have people mm-hmm. from all over the world these planes are going non-stop literally non-stop from los angeles to the world they look beautiful, like they're all shapes and sizes. And you're like, what's that? What kind of plane is that? And then you were on the perfect plane for taxiing and sightseeing. Embraer 120, Brazilia. Huge you know, windows. I was thinking yeah. that. Huge windows. And yep. that used to be, when I worked for, for um, the Express Carrier, my first airline, I loved that plane. So the poster that I had in my room was an Embraer 120 picture that I took with the plane sitting at SFO in front of runway 28. For the listeners, an Embraer 128 is like an Embraer 145 with two engines on the two prop engines. The cabin is the same. From what I remember, the cabin is the same and the nose looks the same. So beautiful aircraft. Now we have some feeder aircraft or cargo aircraft at the airport that I work at that are um, converted E120s. Um, oh, wow. So it's fun to be okay. able to see them still having yeah. life. 
Embraer 120 Brazilians. The cargo conversion is giving a lot of aircraft life that you wouldn't think. Like in, in Denver, I see metro liners quite a bit that have been converted to cargo. Lots of things like that. Let's get some work done before we get back to non-revving and more fun stuff. Speaking of aviation in our blood, we had a changing of the guard at two airlines with CEOs that have been fixtures in the industry for years. Doug, and if you need help pronouncing this name, I can help. Hi, <laughs> Doug. I, I, I was trying, trying to practice it as a, <laughs> last night as I was looking over this. This article is from CNBC. It says, FedEx names Raj Subramaniam as CEO. Subramaniam, yep. Okay. As CEO, replacing founder Fred Smith. FedEx Corporation said that Fred Smith will step down on June 1st as CEO of the company that he founded and will be succeeded by the company's president and chief chief operating officer. Sub, Subramaniam, right? Subramaniam, okay. Yeah. Subramaniam joined the company in 1991 and served in several marketing and managerial jobs in Asia and the United States. He rose to become the chief marketing and communications officer eventually. He became the president and chief operating officer in 2019 and joined the FedEx board the following year. Smith, who's 77, started FedEx in 1973, delivering small parcels and documents more quickly than the post office could. Smith broke the news to FedEx employees in a memo that retraced some of the Memphis, Tennessee-based company's history. FedEx started with 14 planes and three, uh, 389 team members who delivered 186 packages. You, you have written true in the first day of operations. It was actually the first night of operations the first night yeah oh, good night. job doug yeah <laughs> this is awesome i actually yeah, as, as one of my my grad school classes my capstone was to do a whole deep dive into fedex so i, mm-hmm. I got to to research this this first night and and look at the inner workings and everything he had an idea a lot of people said that it was crazy and it wasn't going to last and now now look at what ups came from it you know kind, kind of tried to copy it DHL mm-hmm. cargo is huge. And and in the 70s, there wasn't cargo. It, it was all just throw it in the belly of a, a Pan Am 707 that's going coast to coast. There there was everything else was just ground traffic, mm-hmm. you know, throw it on a throw it on a truck. And Fred Smith had this idea of, well, we can take airplanes and I, it was small business jets. I'm trying to remember the type of airplane. The, oh, I think they were Falcons. The, you're, you're yeah, right. Falcons. Yeah, my right. man. Mm-hmm. And he had, he had this idea of getting getting some business jets, throwing some some high cost parcels that, that people want to pay mm-hmm. extra for overnight shipping, and right. start in Memphis, which is kind of the the perfect location in the United States to be able to connect to population yep. to well to everywhere. Like you, you know, it's I, I guess Kansas City, I, I think probably is is closer to the center, the actual geographical center of the U.S., but. Memphis is in a pretty good location to do that. What I didn't know, guys, is <laughs> I'm thinking this started off really small, like a little scrappy operation. Fred Smith, he started this company in 1973 with $91 million of seed money. <laughs> so it wasn't ever going to be a small operation. And so his first two years, they um, they lost $29 million, And the guy had to go to Vegas to win money to pay the bills <laughs> and thankfully he was good at blackjack because if he lost like most of us do in vegas there would be no fedex so he was he must have been a card counter like uh, another ceo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i am angry at fred smith for one thing fedex bought flying tigers in 1989 and as a kid watching uh airplanes at sfo 
that was the only cargo airline that I was remotely interested in working for because they had these gleaming 747s in chrome. They were just um, not unpainted silver with the tiger on the tail. And I think there was also a tiger on the nose, like when the nose opened up and I thought it was so badass. Then FedEx bought it and no more flying tigers. And that's how FedEx had 747s for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever wanted 747s, but then they were all turned into this uh, blue or purple or whatever color they have, which turned into some pink and it didn't look very good when (laughs) after a few years, great airline. Yeah. I mean, we all want everything overnight delivered and he's, Fred Smith actually started that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to think about how every what's so commonplace now with overnight or two-day delivery, it was such a revolutionary idea that, you know, people barely gave him the time of day to listen to his idea, but now it's the mainstay in today's culture. Yeah, I read that he actually had an argument with one of his uh, professors at Yale about this. Then he was adamant, no, I'm going to make this work. Another interesting thing I had was kind of reading up on some of the news and I found an article that was an interview with Raj's dad. He mentioned that Raj's dad mentions that Fred Smith has been, and this is his words, grooming Raj over the past decades to take the reins for him. And Hmm. I feel like that is somewhat unique where you have a succession plan where someone is has been groomed or like almost kind of known but not talked about to take over for such a long time. I feel like, you know, it's not just, oh, he happened to be in the right place at the right time. It seems like he's been kind of prepared to. So it would be interesting to see if there's a big change at FedEx or if it's kind of going to be business as usual, being that he's was so heavily influenced by Fred. Yeah, you know, and that leads us, that's a great segue to the next story because the new CEO of uh, American is Robert Isom. Maybe he was in that same position where he's being groomed by Doug Parker. This is another huge aviation news story. Fred Smith was definitely a pioneer. We have another airline icon who stepped down this week. It was um, Doug Parker of American, who was the longest serving chief executive of a major U.S. airline. Ryan, what do we know about Doug Parker? Doug Parker stepped down after two decades running the airline and was replaced by the president, Robert Isom, on March 31st. And Parker is in a very unique position as CEO. Um, He became the CEO of America West less than two weeks before September 11th and later oversaw two mergers with U.S. Airways and American Airlines and saw the tail end of a wave of consolidation among U.S. carriers and now American is the largest U.S. carrier. Isom, who has a three-decade career in aviation, will become the CEO of an airline that is still losing money as it tries to rebuild a business that collapsed during the pandemic. Parker oversaw the merger of America West with bankrupt U.S. Airways, which created the fifth largest carrier in the country, and he ran the new U.S. Airways as CEO. And then following the Great Recession that ended in 2009, Airlines that were saddled with massive debts and high legacy costs spurred a series of bankruptcies and another round of mergers. Once again, Parker saw the rare opportunity to create a larger airline with the size and scale he could never achieve at U.S. Airways. This time, it was American Airlines, which had tumbled into bankruptcy in 2011. Parker engineered a merger between the U.S. Airways and the bankrupt American, creating the largest airline in the world when American emerged from Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2013. Parker was still CEO, while Isom oversaw the integration of the two carriers as chief operating officer. Yeah, so that was a story from uh, NBC News, but it's it's all over the place. 
This guy has been around. My second airline that I work for was America West. That's where he started. It's so funny. And when we were in training for America West in uh, Tempe, Arizona, 1992, I think, the trainer mentioned, hey, sometimes people will make a mistake and call us American West. <laughs> you know how airlines love to correct. Now it's United Airlines, not Airways. The trainer was like, no, don't correct them because they wanted to be associated with American because American... <laughs> Was, was a world was class the, airline. Yeah, it was, right. was the name the name brand that people knew. Yeah, and that wasn't such a bad thing. <laughs> so we were told, no, don't worry about it. that. That's good if they associate with this tiny, scrappy carrier from Tempe, Arizona, with American Airlines. It was run by Bob Bob Crandall, and it was like so, so legendary. Wouldn't you know it? America West kind of is American now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has the management of America West. I think it's neat that. Um, American pays homage to the airlines that it's merged with. So they have Mm -hmm. the Allegheny Retro, they have the America West Retro 321, they have the, or I think it's a 319, but they have the um, US Airways 321. Um, I think it's really neat that they've done that to kind of preserve their history. Yeah, it's it's awesome. They've they've got TWA, they've got PSA, they've got Piedmont. Reno Air. Reno. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. No, th- this is this is a big story. American is the world's largest airline, and mm-hmm. to have a, a transition of power, if if you can call it that, is definitely a big deal. But like you said, Ryan, Isom has been with Parker for the last decade, and he's been in a position. And I know that they're initially they were grooming uh, another current airline CEO to take over for Parker when he stepped down, and that ended up not happening. 2016 timeframe. So probably since about 2016, Isom has, has been that guy. Parker, from what I've read, and Drew, I, th- I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Parker is still the chairman of the board for the next couple of yep. years. So he'll still there. Yep. So he's he's still, the, yeah, he's, he's still there. He's not going to be running the day-to-day operations anymore as CEO, but all of his ideas and, and where he wants the company to go is still pretty much going to be in play because he's sitting on the board he's the chairman of the board yeah this is it's it's interesting times right now as we start to move out of the pandemic as drew talked about the 90 90 load factors the extra banks all the new flights all, all these new airplane deliveries that are coming to all these airlines in the next couple of years it'll be interesting to see if anything changes at american with isom as the mm. as the ceo well everyone puts their own touch on it but the ones that have been groomed so to speak like even our CEO of our, of our carrier, they don't change course right away because they want a smooth transition and they don't want the employees to be confused. Like this is our direction and it's like turning a cruise ship, which um, we're doing at work. We're changing some things we're, regarding performance, which I won't get into, but you know, turning an airline is like turning a cruise ship. Things take time and you can't just you know turn on a dime. So ISOM will put his own touch on it. We have yet to see what that is. Right. We'll see what in terms of customer product or in terms of roots or whatever he does. So it's interesting. I do have one more story about Doug Parker. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of friends um, that I work with at Reno Air, which was bought by American. This is in the early 2000s, late 90s. Doug Parker is very shrewd. You know, he, he has made this company into the biggest airline in the world. Right. That doesn't just happen overnight. So he's a financial wizard, I'm sure. So when, when he took over the regular cups that we have for uh, drinks, you know, that everyone knows. So Doug Parker, when he 
was in charge, the cups became smaller. So the flight attendants used to refer to him lovingly as Dixie Cup Doug. (laughs) 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 So I always remember that name. So whenever I see Doug Parker, I think Dixie Cup Doug. And I'm thinking, you know, that could be seen as a slight, but I'm also thinking he's probably really shrewd and he made American what it is, which is the largest airline in the world. Enough about Doug Parker. Let's uh, get to our next story. I'm going to go back to cargo. Uh, This is a story that, Ryan, you sent me. I thought it was so interesting because I think think this is the future, unfortunately. This is a story from Fox Business, but it's all over the place. FedEx Express is partnering with this California-based company called Elroy Air to develop and test an autonomous, no pilot, hybrid electric vertical takeoff and landing EVTOL aircraft for cargo in 2023. Elroy, that this is named after the boy character on the classic animated TV series, The Jetsons, unveiled its pre-production Chaparral, that's the name of it, Chaparral aircraft last January. The aircraft is designed to autonomously pick up 300 to 500 pounds of cargo and deliver it by air as fast as, as far as 300 miles. So this is not a little drone. This is a little airplane. FedEx Express and Elroy will test Chaparral, an uncrewed autonomous aircraft, within the company's middle-mile logistic operations, moving shipments between FedEx sorting locations. Do you know what, what's your definition of middle-mile? Middle-mile, from what I understand, is like sort location to sort location that's anywhere from like 50 to a couple hundred miles where it would be, you know, a significant amount of time to drive it there, especially in large markets like Los Angeles, New York, Mm -hmm. East Coast. Um, where like 50 miles might take a truck two hours, but could take the an EV toll for 30 yep. minute flight. Especially with traffic getting worse and worse. All right, Elroy says Chaparral is designed to fly like a hybrid between a helicopter and a bush plane. Its features include eight vertical lift fans, four distributed electric propulsors for forward flight, a high wing airframe configuration, a full carbon composite airframe, and a turbine based hybrid electric powertrain. Also, Chaparral is intended to fit inside a 40-foot shipping container or a Lockheed Martin C-130 cargo aircraft for quick deployment. So this is not just for FedEx's needs. This could be for military operations, too. Uh, The company said uh, they have secured purchase agreements for more than 500 aircraft from commercial, defense, and humanitarian customers totaling more than $1 billion. Doug, this could be end of the end of pilots eventually. It's going to take several years, but autonomous. And this is looks like I've seen the picture. It's an airplane. It's not a mm-hmm. drone. Yeah, I I don't. I, I'm trying to look at this from an objective standpoint, as if I don't have any skin in the game as a pilot. I think this is good. Like th- this is a good thing, and I don't think that pilots should feel threatened by this because w- what this is doing is it's not. Re- placing something necessarily it's improving a system that is struggling if you can call it that that middle mile getting packages mm-hmm. from from sorting station to store sorting station things like that the humanitarian piece the military piece i i can see where, where this would be huge again it's it's not replacing something that's there already it's just improving the whole system now that the technology could possibly be used later on for larger aircraft and and then we could possibly get into the replacement but for now i think what this is going to do is it's it's going to help drive the costs for everyone down because in, instead of 
instead of having to have multiple truck drivers and, and different things out on the road, you now have this autonomous EV toll moving from sorting facility to sorting facility in a lot faster time, a lot more efficient, which is cost efficiencies that will be given to the customer when you're trying to mail that that adoption document that needs to get there overnight. Now you have this sort of capability that that should help to drive the cost down, I would think. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm being facetious about this could be the end of pilots. I, I honestly don't think in our lifetimes we will see large planes flying with no pilots overseas. I, I just don't don't see that. And Doug, from talking to you, there's so much work in the cockpit with ATC and, you know, routings and stuff. I don't know how you could do that autonomously, but I'm um, concerned, like who is going to regulate, how are, how are these planes going to be regulated? And the only thing I could find, Doug, was uh, part 107. So there's a code of 14 code of federal regulations. Doug and I work for the airlines. We're covered under part 121. Part 107 covers drones. And I think this would be a light, this is a light unmanned aircraft. So it'd be a drone. And, um, oh, I have to make sure you notice, uh, Doug. So it reads certificated mm-hmm. remote pilots, including commercial operators. Certificated. Mm-hmm. That's from the. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, just real quick um, some of the things it covers, and I think these would be covered by it, and it would have to be expanded. So, right now, it says these um, drones has a ground speed may not exceed 87 knots or 100 miles per hour. They can fly up to 400 feet. So it's very restricted. So if these are flying 200 to 300 miles, they're going to have to expand the scope of where and how these these planes fly. Well, the, the reason they do that is because anything above 400 feet is class golf airspace or class echo airspace, depending on where you're at, which means that there could be Ryan working on his CFI flying around and all of a sudden you've got all these drones yeah and you're you're totally right true that it, it will be regulated by the faa it's not just that these companies can do that and i actually read in the wall street journal yesterday right. there are a couple startups in in the bay area who have gotten faa approval to be in drone delivery to houses and they, they've got a couple markets in the u.s that they're in rural more rural areas where they're actually taking shipments from walmart and using parachutes to drop them within a a one car radius of your house. Meaning Mm -hmm. I I need some medicine right now and I need it in the next 30 minutes. This drone will pick it up and take it there. And they've they've been approved Mm -hmm. by the FAA to do this, but there are certain routes, corridors that these these drones have to fly. And then when they get to the neighborhood, they drop low and, and they can spread out so that there is no risk of running into air traffic because a Cessna shouldn't be flying lower than X number of feet over a neighborhood anyways. And so you, you have these corridors, right? And just like when I, when I'm out there flying and I look at my charts and I can see where the VFR corridors are or the visual flight rule corridors are where, where Ryan is flying around in his Cessna or drew you and your, your archer. Mm-hmm. I can see there be being drone routes now showing up on the charts as well. And if, if I'm flying in an area that has skydivers, let's say, or gliders, there will be a note that says, caution, high probability of jump operations within this radius or high high probability of glider operations within this, this area. Mm. So I can see there being a note from the places where these drones launch saying high probability of drones below X altitude in this area. And that way, that way yeah. the skies are... are 
kept safe and all these different right. types of flying vehicles are separated from each other. All right, Ryan, are you uh, are you angry that uh, this could be taken away truck jobs? I've also heard that they FedEx specifically, um, I think it was in when Fred Smith was just on the news the other day, he said he anticipates there to be major gains in autonomous vehicles for over the road shipping as well. So I think mm. truck driving, flying deliveries, all of it is going in that direction of unmanned and there'll always have to be some sort of supervision by a human. I think, yeah, I think the trend definitely is going that way. And does it make me angry uh, <laughs> <laughs> when it's, uh, if they can drive during blizzards and really windy days, then sure, that'd be great that I wouldn't have to be out there. But on the nice summer days, yeah, I'd be a little upset that I, I don't know, would I, they make the, or would they give the opportunity for the truck drivers to become like, quote unquote, like drone pilots or autonomous vehicle operators? Maybe. Uh, so would I be sitting in a dark room with a joystick? Right. Uh, That's what I was thinking. You're going to be work from home, work from home. Yeah, drone pilot. yeah exactly. <laughs> It, so you're basically playing a video game and getting You're paid. doing that truck that so yeah, the truck exactly. driving sim. Yeah, exactly. The truck the, simulator. Yeah, the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Drew. Well, you and Ryan started off learning to fly with goals of doing it as a career. And Drew, you instead found airport operations as you were learning to fly when you were 19. And you've been there ever since. Ryan, you learned how to fly, but also changed course. What happened? And do you think you'll go back? And I, I, I've, got a, I've got a question yeah. to you. you. You talked about the... Okay. The crop dusting bring. What sort of yep. certificates do those pilots need? Is the, do they need commercial sure. or like the, let's let's get into that realm? I think yep. Doug, you're asking how are they certificated? Yes, yes. how are they certificated? <laughs> yeah, what are, according to the FA, <laughs> what are the yes. privileges <laughs> that a certificated airman has? <laughs> Agricultural aircraft are are in the restricted okay. class, which basically. Um, like alleviates them from most rules under part 91. You do need to have a commercial certificate to operate it um, for if you're doing it for hire. If you are, the way I understand it is if you own this plane and we're spraying your own crops, if you were a farmer, then you would just need, I I don't even know if it, you, you would need a sports license or your private, but okay. in order to do it commercially, yep, you do need you your need the commercial, commercial license. license. Yep. And you would then, depending on the power of the aircraft, could potentially need um, your high power or your, um, what is it, high performance endorsement. Um, but most of the aircraft are fixed gear. So um, it's a pretty simple and low time career field that I think is becoming less common for people to do as like time building. In my case, I think it was really just right time, right place at my current employer that they presented me opportunities to move forward where I was hitting like closed doors in the trying to find a job in the aviation field directly as a pilot. I was admittedly a little burnt out from training. Um, part 141 schools can be pretty rigorous depending on the pace that you set yourself at. I do sometimes still daydream about what it might be like to be uh, an airline pilot or doing some sort of career in the airlines or in aviation. But I am also extremely grateful for the quality of life that I've been able to get for myself now. I don't foresee myself going back, but hearing 
the news articles and hearing you guys talk about how Doug, I think you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there was like a 53 year old in your, or that you knew of a 53 year old that had just finished their in doc. And mm-hmm. so is that how I would maybe want to spend out the last 10 years of my working years? Maybe, um, you know, if the opportunity presented itself, I'm not ever going to close that door, but right now I'm, I'm pretty happy where I'm at. Well, R- Ryan, Ryan, I, I actually, I have an even better story that I, that I learned from my sim partner. He said that he flew with a first officer on one of his last trips before going to, to training with me. The, the first officer was 61 years old when they got hired by our airline. Wow. They had been a, wow. a previous flight doc in the Navy, had built hours mm-hmm. by, by being a flight doc, decided to use those, those hours to put toward training to get their, their private and then all the way up. They had been a medical examiner, an FAA medical examiner, until the last couple of years. They had just retired from that, had four years left to, to go and said, you know, I want to do something fun. So they went and got their ATP, their their airline license, basically, got hired by our airline. And they have to retire in four years. But the, this person, I guess, said, I, I just wanted I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to, to just do some fun for the, the last four years before I retire. So he's having fun basically in his retirement and getting paid mm-hmm. and getting airline benefits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like he's checking all the boxes. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Exactly. But Ryan, I wanted to ask you something else. So I think I've said on this podcast, you know, in the beginning of my career, it was all about the airports and the airplanes and the, you know, um, that whole technical part of it. But later on in life, it's not about the airplanes. It's about the people. And it's about the people that I hire and then I groom to grow and move on and, you know, be better at their jobs. And I think you are experiencing that as because you're training new drivers. Yeah, it is getting to um, meet the new drivers and help them go from zero time in an articulated vehicle, a, a tractor trailer, to then after even just one week of training, they're able to do some basic backing maneuvers and able to, we still train in a manual um, gear. So they're going from grinding gears and trying to figure out how to work a clutch to shifting smoothly and driving like it's no big deal um it's pretty neat to see that develop in someone and i'm sure relating it to aviation i'm sure that's how cfis feel if they're passionate about teaching as well going from someone that maybe has zero experience in an airplane to being able to take off fly maneuver and land i'm sure that's pretty amazing and then for sure the the connections that i've made based on where i'm at in life um have been pretty awesome getting to know you guys and knowing some of the um, cargo pilots that come in often and just getting to talk to them and hear their stories and share commonalities and new experiences with each other. It's really neat. Yeah, absolutely. People over planes, right? That's what we say. <laughs> yep. Just to like explain what I'm, um, what I'm experiencing. So we have, uh, I have an employee, his name is Alex. He was a zone supervisor, a gate controller, and now he sometimes sits in for us when we need to take a day off. And he sat in this week and we had thunderstorms and tornado warnings. And I'm like, oh, Alex, you know, you call me if you need any help. The guy did an awesome job. So he was closing and opening the ramp. He had a plan for the diversions. And I'm seeing all this. We have a chat going on. I'm at home, but of course I'm nosy and I want to be helpful. But it's like, he's doing it. He doesn't need help. You know, and that, that's really rewarding to see when someone who you've worked with and you've helped come along 
they're basically flying the plane, which is the operations themselves, which is awesome. All right, guys. So we're not all career pilots, but we all do love to fly and we all have airline travel benefits. Ryan, tell us your dream non-rev routing. My dream non-rev routing, Drew, I think I've discussed this with you before, but I would love to do uh, an all Boeing tour. So Mm -hmm. hit the 717, the 37, uh, try to hit the queen if possible, Mm -hmm. 5767777, maybe somewhere down the line by the time I actually get around to do it, there'll be a 797 aircraft. (laughs) It won't be that can be 10 years. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. So I think... In a single okay. trip, yeah, it would be. It would have to be multiple days, I'm sure. But yeah, hit it, hit them all in a single trip. So I know Delta, I think, is the only commercial 717 operator still. So mm-hmm. you know, you'd have to go. Uh, I, there's some out of Minneapolis. I think there's some out of Detroit. I think there's still quite a bit out of Atlanta. So that's probably where you'd have to quote unquote like. You're, you're running out of time though, because they're retiring those in 2025. Yeah. Although yeah. Hawaiian, okay, well Hawaiian then I guess we gotta make them. it happen. Hawaiian yeah. still has them. So that, oh, that's an they? easy way. Okay, that's an easy I, way for you. You can get like a 737 over to Honolulu or somewhere yep. in the islands. Take a 717. No, what you should do is 737 island. to like Maui. Take a 717 to Honolulu, yeah. and then you can get a 777 or a 7-8 to Narita or back to Chicago right. or to you know Los Angeles, something like that. That would, that would be yeah. an easy way. You want to do this within 24 hours? Is that the challenge? I don't think I don't think it'd be possible. I think with the <laughs> 747, I think that would make it impossible. Oh, that's right. But yeah. in a weekend for sure, and not necessarily in order either, just to try to hit all of them. And with domestic wide bodies the way they are, you could easily get some a six seven and a triple knocked off just going hub to hub somewhere. Okay, so Doug, you know the wheels are already I'm turning. Already, right? I'm already envisioning so this I'm in thinking, my mind of, of how he can make this work. I really am. I'm thinking we all, I, we might just, everyone has to crash Ryan's trip because I think we all start in Frankfurt on a 747-8, work our way west and finish it, finish up on a 717 from Honolulu mm-hmm. to Hilo or someplace. There we go. This could yeah. really, I mean, yeah, with the time zones, maybe we can do it in 24 hours. That's true. Uh, yeah. Maybe, and, you, I don't know. Yeah. Start out, start in, in Germany or start in Japan or because I was trying to think of others. 747 operators and they're mm-hmm. getting pretty slim too they are yeah it's korean air and uh korean air and lufthansa are our only air china hosts, so okay korean air and lufthansa if you're listening don't air, ever air retire china. them we, we will do an episode bashing air china's got the dash aids still <laughs> yeah i don't think they're in uh commercial service mm-hmm. they are air china is still flying them okay so yeah. then that's the third one ryan that sounds amazing we might just be available if you need company although you said that you go to the bottom of the standby list so maybe we shouldn't do it because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise we'll get the last, the right, last you mean, gonna and, and ryan will be left at the gate and this is his <laughs> his idea, his trip yeah but another serious AppGeek question for you, Ryan. If given the choice to fly nonstop from JFK to Singapore on an A350 or with one stop in Frankfurt on an A380, what would you choose and why? I would choose the nonstop on the A350 just because, to me, deplaning and reboarding in Frankfurt kind of sounds like it would be more of a hassle <laughs> than it would be worth. Um, I might just want to get there. However, my, my asterisk or my caveat would be if I could somehow negotiate an extended stopover in Frankfurt, 
maybe mm-hmm. like a, I don't know what you'd need, 16, 24, 28 hours. Kind of like what Iceland Air does when, if you go through Reykjavik, you can, I think that with them, you can spend like up to three days. Um, yeah, I think it's 72 on the hours. Same itinerary. Yeah. yeah. So if I could, if I could negotiate that, then, then I probably would change to the stopover in Frankfurt. But if I'm truly just trying to get to Singapore, I'm going nonstop on the 350. Would it make a difference if it's in business or economy? You would be okay 19 hours in an economy seat, or would you want to stop? You know what? I think I just want to get it over with and get there, even in economy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doug, what would you do? I'm, I'm really torn on this. If JFK Singapore wasn't the longest flight in the world, then mm-hmm. I, I would absolutely take the one stop because it gives you two additional airplanes. It gives you more time to experience the product, et cetera. But that that carrot dangling there of saying that you flew on the longest flight in the world, I, oh man, I'm I'm torn. I I you know what I I'm gonna say JFK Singapore nonstop just this one time. Mm. Any other time I would I would take the two stop, but this this one time I'm taking the nonstop because it's the longest flight in the world. Yeah, I would also say the nonstop uh, because I want to say that I've been on the longest flight in the world. But if the A380s were getting close to retirement and they were making announcements, of course, I would do that first. Uh, JDL, who was on the show, actually took that nonstop and he talked about it on an episode. He responded, take the stop. But he's biased because he's taken the nonstop. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> he said, take, take the stop. We should probably ask him why take the stop. You know, if it's him saying, well, I've already done the nonstop, then... Well, I, um, I, remember, be I remember different when he was on Drew, he was saying that even in business class by like hour 15 or 16, what's four still mm-hmm. to go, he was saying, I'm just ready mm-hmm. to, be, to be done, to be off this airplane. Let's see what our listeners said. This is the question we asked. There are several flights being reinstated, including Singapore Airlines Flight 25 with A380 service via Frankfurt Airport. Would you rather fly 22 hours on an A380 or 19 hours nonstop? on SQ23, an A350. We'd love your comments uh, for the next episode. So they came back and it was it was no confusion. 66.7% said they would rather fly the A380 with a stop in Frankfurt, 22 hours, uh, rather than uh, go nonstop for 19 hours. And um, guys, let's alternate these comments. Doug, do you want to start? Yes, our buddy Steve Tao said no self-respecting av geek would choose the A350 over the A380. Knowing the double-decker planes days are numbered. A380 upstairs all the way. Makes sense. Greg Peterson, G. Pete Lex. Hi, Greg. Uh, he chose the A380 because the A380s are a dying breed. The 350s mm. will be around for a while. The real correct answer is both one JFK Singapore <laughs> and the other Singapore JFK. Yep, 100%. All right, uh, Craig from the UK, he said, I've flown both the A380 with Thai, Qatar, British Airways, and Malaysian. You lucky dog. He's flown yeah, A380s okay. on all those carriers. We need to have him on and have him talk about all this. Anyway, great experience in space. Even 13 to 14 hours to Asia was tough in one go. So I would take the stop in Frankfurt unless it's in business or first. And then Reggie said the A380 is such an iconic craft. It'll be around for years, but not as long as the A350 will be. It seems like that's what everyone is saying. Yeah. Charlie agreed. Well, he said both, but for now the A380, he's already done that Singapore JFK on 22. Yeah. A lot of people have flown that. Yeah. We need to catch up. Our buddy uh, Nate from Nate in the air, in the air YouTube videos said, got to fly the 380 before it's too late. 
So you pull the the next trip episode. You pull us three, and you get a hundred percent nonstop. But I guess you go outside of our little group, and we are definitely the minority. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, so we're all nonstop. But yeah, well, we we also have like to think our, of it this topic. way. Singapore is not flying this route or either of these routes for AvGeeks. They're flying it for people who are trying to get from New York to Singapore and business people, Mm. especially. And as a business traveler, you want the nonstop, which is part of the reason why they have it, because it gets it gets you there a couple of hours earlier and you're not away from work for as long. So that's I mean, that's part of the reason. But I digress. DFW AVI guy said I would do the A380 because as we saw during the height of COVID, their future isn't really as certain as the A350. Yep, everyone's saying that. The A350 is more likely mm-hmm. to stay during rough economic times. Therefore, I could fly it another day. And then Seb said the transpolar route is no longer available for SQ23 because of the crisis in Russia and Ukraine. So you're basically flying right over Frankfurt anyway. You may as well land and walk around for a bit, then get back on the big boy. <laughs> That's a good point, too. <laughs> the other thing that's not mentioned is you get an additional landing and takeoff, which are the best parts, right? And you get to visit another airport real quick. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely has its draw. I think I just, you know, the historical or the, um, oh, what is it? The uniqueness of being on the longest flight in the world. I think I would want to check that off and um, talk about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, let's give a shout out to another Star Alliance airline since we had just been talking about Singapore. And this is Swiss, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this week. And our listener, Martin, who's a flight attendant for them, tweeted, Happy birthday at Fly Swiss. Only been with the company for 13 of the 20 years, but no matter how strong the turbulence or crosswind, I've always been a very proud employee. With the rising retirement age these days, I might be there for the 50th. Swiss first flew in 2002, and it was created on the foundation of Crossair and Swissair which had folded in the years just prior. They joined the Lufthansa group in 2005. Congrats, Swiss, and we look forward to flying with you sometime. I had no idea that Swiss was such a young airline, um, but I'd love to non-rev on them. And Doug, we have a listener questioner, listener question from DJ, who Drew and I met at the non-rev lounge meetup in Chicago. Hi, DJ. DJ asks, do pilots brief their cabin crews before every flight? And if so, how is this done when checking in for your first flight of the day compared to switching airplanes and or cabin crews in the middle of the day or routing? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I know we're going a little long on the episode, so I'll keep this short. The captain briefs the cabin crew before every flight. And we rarely, if ever, have the same cabin crew. Like if we're flying three legs in a day, we, we won't be with the same flight attendants most likely. So in in that case, what the captain does is the the flight attendants are the ones who alert the gate, the customer service representative at the gate that they're ready to board. And they don't do that until the flight attendants have been briefed by the captain. Or if we're in a situation where we might have a tight connection, the flight attendants are already on the airplane, they're already boarding, which I've had this several times where we show up at the gate 20 minutes prior to push because our inbound flight was late and the flight attendants and passengers are already on the airplane, the captain will take the purser aside, whether it's in the flight deck or the galley, when when they're not busy with the boarding process, and we'll brief them. Just talking about evacuation, talking about what the what the uh, rides are going to be like, what the, the route time is, all of that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like a two-minute brief. It really is not that long. And it can be done pretty easily, even during the boarding process. And then the purser 
the the lead flight attendant then disseminates the information to the other flight attendants if they're in the middle of the boarding process. All right. Thanks, Doug. Listeners, thanks for asking your questions. Maybe just stagger them a little bit sometimes. <laughs> so this week, another listener, Henry, who was also at the Chicago meetup, asked me the following questions. And this was all in one day. It's constant questions. And I, and I know I'm going to have to apologize on the next episode to Henry, but this was too good not to share with everyone. This is on the same day. So he asked me, do you know what flight number ranges for SkyWest Commute Air and GoJet Go with your airline? And I was like, okay, I, let me check. Um, and I did. And then he said, well, is there a more precise range or just whatever they decide? I'm like, oh, my God. All right. Let me check again. <laughs> then he asked, why are your airlines emissions different between their flights? Is it between the 777-200 and 300s? It's like, I don't know. Let me check. Does British Airways have to pay for airport ops vehicle escorts for the A380? Or does it come with extra landing fees? Do the extra weight? Right after that, given that the wingspan is the same, why is the 777-200 on the right side and the 777-300 on the left? Jeopardy positioning. So I got to look into that. Then he sends a picture of an LD and LD7. What's the advantage of that over the AKEs besides being able to take skis or something? Then he sends a picture of some employees. Does the orange mean trainee or something? I'm like, Henry, <laughs> slow down. I'm still trying to figure out the ranges of the express flights. He's like another 10 questions in. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, everyone, for the questions. Sometimes just give me some time to answer the first one. <laughs> you know, as we always say, thank you for joining the conversation a lot in terms of Henry's Henry's questions. We we really do appreciate you. And Henry, keep the questions coming, but I, it may take a week to answer all of these. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, thanks for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Do you have anything else to share with our listeners or how they can find you? Like Doug mentioned at the beginning, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Planes and Planes. Um, if you just scroll under pretty much anything that Next Trip has posted i'm sure i've commented or shared so should be able to find me that way thanks for having me on it was a blast uh, i look forward to meeting doug in person and i look forward to the next time we uh get to do a meetup somewhere absolutely maybe on this marathon boeing run yeah there we go i'm glad that i or i'm hoping that i made the episode go over an hour because i've been i always get mad when your episodes are like 58 minutes <laughs> yeah well i i think we, we probably will go over an hour just looking at the time but yeah ryan hopefully now that i'm moving on to this new airplane i'll have a little bit more freedom to be able to to travel the the guppy was awesome but man i was i was just slammed for my schedule Easy. well and to all of the other listeners thanks for your support and for joining the conversation we'll see you next week and in the meantime stay aviation tough this has been the next trip podcast Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 